0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. No matter where you are in the world, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of Whose World Is This? with Junior Renee Bobrun. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I'd like to welcome you to this ongoing conversation that is now in its 81st episode. If you are a returning listener, thank you guys once again for lending me your ears for these rants and revelations and in theories and, and perceptions. Uh, thank you. And again, I'd like as a brief aside, I'd like to thank a lot of the people that have been sharing uh, these ongoing conversations. Cause I don't usually look at the analytics of this particular platform. I maybe every 20 episodes or 15 or 20 episodes or so. I don't like to judge the uptick based on how one particular conversation is going. So um, I looked, at the last 10, 15 episodes. And I noticed that there's been a, a a gradual uptick in listenership and it's coming from the South. Uh, It's coming from, well, I know a lot of people in Florida, but it's coming from Florida, Texas, which I don't know a lot of people from Oklahoma city, which I know a few people It's coming from places in Europe. But what I'm noticing is I think the people that my colleagues and peers and whoever the people that I know have shared it and now those people have passed it along as well so thank you guys for sharing this content um I've encouraged some of my friends I know I can be long-winded this is a long form show so it's about a minute uh, an hour long sometimes it's 45 minutes but it can run longer than an hour which I'm trying to cut down on but most of my friends have been and people that listen have been encouraging me to main go as long as you you want because no one has to listen all at once people can listen to you at double speed and you can sound like a chipmunk and they can get through it in half the time and People listen to little tidbits. So I've been encouraging people, if there's something in one of the episodes that really resonates with a friend of yours, cue them in to those exact minutes. Say, hey, listen, you don't have to listen to the whole thing if you don't want to. But the thing I wanted you to hear was right around the 18 minute mark. So start around there. So I, you know, with these formats now where, you know, pretty much how you listen and how much you listen to it is pretty much, you know, you're in control of it. So I encourage people, hey, maybe maybe someone is not into listening to a whole 35, 45 minute. I would encourage you to do so because a lot of how I start may not be how I end. You could Agree with me in the beginning and then I take a turn and you no longer agree or it can be you can completely disagree with the first eight to nine to ten minutes and all of a sudden it veers into a direction and then all of a sudden there could be many aha moments that you're missing out on just because you don't feel like listening to this whole thing. Take your time. You know, listen to 10, 15 minutes today and another 10, 15, 20 minutes later and listen on your treadmill, you know, whatever the case may be. So I always encourage people uh, listen however you're going to listen, but definitely try to get through it. Um, I can't make a conscious effort to put all the meaty bits of the conversation in the beginning because that's not how conversations go. I don't have notes as much. So much of this is a stream of consciousness. It'll be one or two sentences that I'll have written down or a quote, maybe, or maybe a date or a time. And then after that, we're off to the races. So I can't. It's not like uh, I could give you all the action packed bits and meaty bits for you to chomp into intellectually or whatever in the beginning and say and trail off. Sometimes I noticed in a couple of episodes, it was the last 10 minutes. That was like, oh, man, I finally came to that conclusion, which is what you're supposed to do when you come to a conclusion. It happens at the end, hence the reason why it's called a conclusion. So I conclude it, and it's a meaty bit at the end. It's like the end. It's climax. Boom. There it is. So it's important that if we're going to listen to these conversations that we, we get through them from beginning to end. You don't have to, you know, sit and take it all in one sitting, but um. Definitely, I encourage people to listen to the end. Um, I don't know why I brought that up, but it's just because I listen to all long form um, um, conversations of other content creators. I listen to the end. If I'm really interested in what you have to say and I've I've, you've gained my trust, I'm going to listen to all of it. I may not listen to all of it right now, but I'm going to go back to where I left off. Even if it's a two days, three days later and go up, got to go check that out. And then I, and then sometimes I start over and go, you know what? I don't remember. there was something that was said. I might need to write it down or just think about it. So I'm going to go back. So I encourage people to do that. Um, in keeping with that, if anyone has any questions, suggestions, concerns, kudos, Uh, uh, inquiries about business, business inquiries, collaborations, interviews, partnerships, sponsorships, anything of that nature pertaining to this platform, please feel free to email us at whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. That is whoseworldisthis21 at gmail.com. And that whose is W-H-O-S-E. So whose world is this? Uh, if you want to uh, reach us on Instagram, you can do so at whose world is this two zero two one. That's our Instagram page. Uh, thank you guys for some of the donations that we've been getting. Um, definitely can cash at me at dollar sign J.U.N.B.E.A.U. That's dollar sign June bo and you can also Venmo me at June Beau, That is J U N B E A U. If you're interested in any sort of journals, notebooks, training logs, diaries, decorative notebooks, uh, we have uh, the How to Self Publish Success Blueprint, which was number one in this genre last year, April of 2021. I would encourage you to go to ChavezHouse.com. That is Chavez with an S, C H A V E S, House.com. You will have a fantastic selection of almost the 100 books, diaries, journals, training logs for men and women, for everyone. It's awesome. And if you do look at, for it on Amazon, feel free to go look for it on Amazon at Chavez House Publishing. That's Chavez with an S at the end, not a Z, but an S. And um, when you look up Chavez House Publishing, be sure that you are purchasing from Lenore Batista. That is the author. Of, uh, that is the main author that's featured on ChavezHouse.com. So all imprints are from her. So if you see anything else mixed in there, when you, when you put that in the search engine, make sure that it's from or by Lenore Batista. That's when you know you're getting an official Chavez House publication imprint. Okay? All right. If you guys are listening to me on Apple, I, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, please, it helps to rate the show. Uh, leave a rating leave a little review and whatever how many stars you want to do. I usually don't say that I forget people have reminded me via email. Hey June don't forget to remind people to review because people will listen and listen and listen and really have the intent of reviewing and rating it but they don't get around to it. But when you remind them they do and I notice that if I do say it then all of a sudden it gets done as they say a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So if you're listening on Spotify, please follow, keep following, keep sharing, you know, feel free to copy and paste things I'm saying on your Facebook pages or, you know, um, whatever the case may be. Um, Be like, hey, your thoughts, you know, um, a lot of the things that I've been saying has been leading to some very robust conversations on and offline, (laughs) which I enjoy. And today we're going to talk about a couple of things. Um. this is our 81st episode, and I want to get into something. I want to talk about the legislation that's passed in Florida over the last month and some change. We're now in mid-April. My apologies. I've taken about a week or two off from actually doing some episodes because I've been restructuring some business things behind the scenes. So my apologies. I try to do two episodes a week and what have you, but um, here we are at late April. And something's out there, and it's I, I spoke about it a little bit when I spoke about millennials who are your giants. I've talked about these things before to a certain degree, and I don't pluck things straight out the newspaper or your legacy media just to hop on their momentum for views or listens or whatever. We don't do that. If I can't find a way to intertwine what's going on out there with what's with a, with a, uh, the macro philosophy that we are, um, um, uh, discussing from episode to episode, then I'll leave certain things. No matter how popular a subject is, I won't, I won't touch it. If I feel that I'm not qualified enough to bring it here and articulate it and, and have it become one of the threads one of the little symbols in the tapestry that we're, that we're creating. So I would just leave it. I'll go ahead, eh, you know? But something is very interesting because it, 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 it checks a lot of boxes of certain things that we've, we've discussed. That bill, that um, bill that is actually technically called the Parental Rights in Education Bill that was signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. And that Parental Rights Bill, which is its official name, Parental Rights in Education Bill. It's colloquial name or the name that it's popularly popularly known as is the don't say gay bill. Very interesting bill. I read it. It's seven pages. Very short. Some bills are. Arduous to get through. This one is not it's not laborious at all. You can get through it. I I wrote down a couple of key points. I usually don't do this, but it's important because when i kept hearing that this was a don't say gay bill i thought to myself well what the heck does that even mean you can't say, you can't say gay am i going to get fined or arrested quarantined so why can't you so i said all right let me look it up and i found out why they were saying don't say gay the reason why they're calling it the don't say gay bill is because it outlines That classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade is prohibited because they could deem conversations and curriculum or curriculum based on sexual orientation for kindergarten to third graders is not age appropriate. So that's pretty much what the bill is saying as a key provision of the bill. So now this whole bill has been now dubbed by the LGBTQ community as don't say gay. But I wrote down a couple of key points and I don't like to hyperbolize. Reason being, when you're reading a law, these are the words that you should be paying attention to. Require, prohibit, Allow. Mandate. Those are very important words. Everything else, sometimes you want to use a little fuzzy language and, you know, they want to get cute and make the bill a couple of more pages than it needs to be. Those words aren't as important. That's interpretive. But when you say require, it's not interpretive. That's what it is. Allow. It's allowed. Prohibit. Prevents. Mandate. These words are very important. So that's all I'm going to touch on really quickly. They called it the Don't Say Gay Bill, but I want to read a couple of key provisions here, and I want to know if any of you future parents, some people that that are still not of age to be parents yet that are listening to me, because guess what? I do have a couple of people in their teens that listen. I got a couple of, as a matter of fact, I have several 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds that listen and hit me up like, yo, like that episode, like when you said that, didn't know that, didn't know this. So... Those people, they're barely future, they're future college kids yet, but they'll soon be parents before they know it. Within 10 years, a lot of them will be parents. Within 10 years of what I'm saying right now, as a matter of fact, less than 10 years of what I'm saying. So for all the future parents, parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunties out there, I want to know your thoughts. Does this sound like don't say gay? Remember, I've read this bill. This bill is, let me go back so we can all, this is the government, Governor Ron DeSantis' bill. It's the House Bill 1557, Parental Rights and Education Bill. You can go online someplace and find it. Find it. I, 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 ne- I never like to give links because, hey, do the work. You know, just a couple, go look, look for it like I looked for it. That's how I kind of look at things. So in any way, listen to this. The bill, and this is verbatim. Okay, this is verbatim. This is what the bill actually says. This bill requires, there goes that word, this bill requires schools to notify parents of any health care services being offered to children and give the opportunity for families to opt out of them. This bill requires schools to get the permission of a parent before administering any well-being questionnaire or health screening to a child in kindergarten through third grade. This bill allows parents to sue in court if they believe a school violates the new law or request the commissioner of education to appoint a special magistrate to get get to the bottom of the complaint. And it is the school district's responsibility to pay for the magistrate interesting so this bill also says this bill is an attempt to reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children now did any of those requirements sound like don't say gay question mark do you think that this bill is fairly deemed or titled, popularly titled by, the, you know, by the, a certain contingent as the don't say gay bill? Do you feel that the, the, the media that have been calling it the don't say gay bill by a, by a particular sect of politicians, do you think that it was fair and do you think it was accurate journalism to call it the don't say gay bill when it's requiring schools to get the permission to, 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 to permission of a parent to administer any well-being questionnaires or health screenings or any health care services require the parent. Because you don't know the parent's religious belief. You don't know the parent's consent. The parent, like this bill says, if reinf- we are reinforcing the fundamental right of the parent to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. Now, why do I bring this up? Why am I bringing this bill up? Because this is not about whether you're gay or straight or what you identify as. This is really not going to be much of a conversation about that. This is a conversation about your village. Remember that old African proverb, or it's a proverb that's attributed to Africa, where it says it takes a village to raise a child? Who's your village? Who's in your village? Who's in this child's village? You have the parents, maybe some grandparents, possibly some uncles and some aunties, maybe a neighbor or two, but it's really, truthfully, the school system operates as the de facto parents when the parents are at work. There is an argument that after f- by the time that child turns 6 years old and is ready for actual a formal education that that from 6 years old to about 12 13 before high school that these teachers and the school system sees your child more than you do minus the little summer vacation that you have with the child but during that school year from august september to may june That school sees your child and spends more quality time with your child in the waking hours when the sun is at its highest point in the sky. That teacher, that school administrator, that guidance counselor spends more time with your child than you do. That means the school system is an extremely important, significant part of your village. Now, this term, it takes a village to raise a child. What it it says is, you know, what it translates into is an entire community of people must be present, active, and accountable in children's lives for those children to experience and grow in a safe and healthy environment. Very important community of people. Now, Just because you live in a neighborhood doesn't make it your community. Ah, because community by definition is shared standards, shared values, shared principles. That's a village. You know, we live in places now where everyone's from someplace else. Everyone's doing their own thing. We're not entirely sure if the person living right next door to us, either on our right or left person living below us or above us person living across the street from us shares our values, traditions, standards, and norms. Cause that's a community. If you don't know what the other people in your neighborhood uh, around you, I'm sorry. If you don't know what other people around you, where you live are thinking and feeling and what they pray to or, or not, or this, that, and the third, if you don't have any shared values, principles, and norms, You don't live in a community. You don't live in a village. You just live in the neighborhood. It's just you. And if the teachers and the principals and the superintendents and the vice principals and the deans and the assistant uh, teachers, the adjunct instructors, the teachers' aides, if they're not sharing your value system principles, then you ain't in a village. That's just the school in your neighborhood. Why is that important? What have I what if been speaking about since maybe episode one or after episode one that you cannot allow the legacy media to raise your child? You cannot allow technology to raise your child. Uh, uh, celebrities, I'm sorry, to raise your child. The state-run school systems, you can't allow them to raise your child. The reason why most Americans are misinformed, malinformed or disinformed is because of how they've been educated or, I'm sorry, indoctrinated. Your school system seems more concerned with gender identity and sexualization than it is with uh, maybe your child knowing a little Arist- uh, Aristotle or Socrates or Nietzsche or Jung. Or uh, I'm sorry, you know, they, they do have Socrates for children. I actually know that because I bought that book for my little nephew and I was reading him Socrates for children. They have it for little kids. How to how to make philosophy uh, a translatable to the little people in single digit ages. Remember what we spoke about and what we spoke about from day one. That children from the ages of zero to seven years old are in their theta mode. That means that their minds are as malleable and as impressionable as they're ever going to be. That's why everything given to them is through vis-a-vis vis- vis repetition. You have your ABCs, you're singing it. Your, your one, two, threes, you're singing it. Your U's and your I before E's, except after C's, all of these things. Please, thank you. Writing sentences 10, 15 times. Write your nouns 10, 20 times. Write your this 10, 20 times. Write your name in cursive and in print 10, 20, 30, 40 times. Those are the assignments. The assignments are repeating things over and over and over again. What did the Aristotelians and the Jesuits say? If you give me the child from zero to seven years old, I will show you the adult. So much of who we are now in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and our 50s and beyond, are based on those fundamentals that we were taught from from infancy to our early adolescent single-digit years before our 11th birthday. So it's interesting that this is called a don't-say-gay bill by certain uh, politicians because parents are saying, hey, listen, I don't want my child before the age of 10 while they're in single digit ages between the ages of kindergarten, which is about four or five years old in this, in America and eight years old, which is third grade approximately between seven and nine years old. Your child will be in third grade. Okay. So with that said, doesn't that fall within the guidelines of that theta hypnosis that children go through where you can actually have the most impact on their young, impressionable minds. Now, the reason why many, many, people, um, there's a certain contingent that think that this bill is attacking gays or it's being very preemptive and being very preventative of things that aren't happening. I'm going to speak from some experience. What experience am I going to speak from? I lived in South Florida for, you know, close to two decades, you know, after living in, in, in New York City, born and raised in New York City. I lived in Florida for about a decade and some change. Now, I know a lot of friends of mine right now that have kids, and they actually have kids that are now in formal school. They're now first grade, second grade, third grade. I have friends of mine now that have kids that are big kids, and at least a dozen of them have come back to me and told me that their kid has come home with information about sexuality that they have not, they do not approve of. These are young parents. These are young parents whose politics is center left or there may be center right. They're not on the fringes. This is the kind of people that'll vote for a Biden or they'll vote for an Obama. or They'll vote for a Bernie Sanders, or maybe they'll vote for a, uh, they're less inclined to even vote for, let's say a Trumper or someone who, who, who represents the hard right. So I'm speaking about people that you would consider more amenable to some of the policies that are being enacted and that are being bandied about and parroted right now. So there's about more than a handful. And then the other ones are center, right. Who are completely vehemently opposed to this being taught to their young kid. So one of my friends, his daughter is six years old. He lives in South Florida. And he says, June, my daughter came home one day and said, hey, daddy, you're cisgender. Hey, mommy, you're cisgender. And I think I'm gender something binary, like, et cetera, et cetera. What's interesting about that is my friend, he didn't know that this was being taught in the school. And he listens to me about how important it is to teach your kids um, and to, to counter and vet what the teacher's are, are are saying to your children. And I've sounded that alarm for a long time. A lot of my friends thought that I was an alarmist. Like, June, you're taking it a little bit too far, man. It's not that serious. Now, all of a sudden, when it comes to this topic, now it's that serious. Now they've come back to me and said, whoa, June. Whoa, I was like, oh, it's all good until you find something you disagree with, right? It's all good, right? So now they're not happy. Why are they not happy? Because they feel as if, their fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children has been usurped. They found out that their kids were in certain groups that they didn't approve of. They found out there were certain guest speakers and third parties entering into the school that they feel, were, feel weren't properly vetted. Once they found out who the person was that's coming to the school, then they would go Google the person there. Their, their kid would come home and say, hey, such and such was speaking at my school today. Then a parent would Google this person and go look them up in a search engine and go, my goodness, this person's traditions, standards, values, principles and norms is against is completely antithetical to what I'm trying to teach my child. Whoa. So what are you guys doing about that? See, this is the fundamental question. Who's in your village? We have the zero to seven. Very important years. I like to say zero to nine. But zero to seven is extremely important, but I'm going to take it to like eight or nine before they get into the double digits. You better hope that you've done the, the best job humanly possible because that child will no longer belong to you because that child spends more time in the school system, more time in television, tablets, and school being influenced by others that are not named mommy and daddy and grandpa and grandma and uncle and auntie. That's a fact. We're going to break those numbers down. So, who's in your village? Who's in your village? Are these teachers in your village? Remember what we've been speaking about. I said that, I've said it even before the LinkedIn and the Forbes and the Bloomberg Business News. I was saying, Our world is going to be fundamentally different. We are not going back to a normal where everyone's going to be commuting into work. So if you are someone who is actually home, if you're a mom that's actually home, especially last year was very interesting in 2021. Moms were home. Children were home. Kid was on one computer. Mom was working on another computer, and then they would take lunch together. And if they had a dog or uh, an animal, they would take that animal out to the dog park. And guess what was going on? For the first time in a long time, neighbors were acting communally. They were meet mothers and kids and pets were all meeting in parks and exchanging phone numbers. And one woman would say to another, the reason why I know this is because I spoke to a lot of my female friends who are parents. And this is exactly what they were telling me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hyperbolizing or, or hypothesizing right now. This is what was being told to me in droves. And this is what I was seeing outside of my window my window of my apartment complex, my balcony overlooks the dog park. So I saw people in 2021 that I didn't see at all in 2020. And they lived here that long. I knew it was they lived here because I, it was the same cars they were getting into. You'd see them sp- sparsely. 8 a.m. you see them. 5 p.m. you see them. What is 8 to 5? 8 to 5 is the work day in America, right? I see them 7.30, 8 a.m., 5.30, 6 p.m. Only time you saw them. Maybe you saw them with some groceries in their hand. Maybe you saw them walking the dog late. That was it. Now, all of a sudden, they're home. The kid is home. The dog is home. And everybody's in the park. And I just saw moms. And what were the moms doing? The moms were saying, hey, do you know someone who homeschools? Because my kid is home and I don't really like the teachers. I'm really seeing the curriculum. I'm listening to the teachers and I'm going, whoa, this is what my kid's been learning this whole time. I don't like it. That was the conversation around the dog park. Parents were saying, whoa, I finally got to hear what was going on going into my child's mind. While I was at work and I don't like it. So I'd like to find out who's being homeschooled. So what I suggested, I suggested to a lot of people, friends of mine and people in my community. I said, listen, you have to find people and find individuals that are aligned with your values and principles. You want to change how things are done. There are plenty of those, those, especially in New York City, where there were so many uh, educators who felt forced out of the educational system because they didn't want to be mandated and have their rights, their autonomous physical rights infringed upon by putting a foreign substance in their body that they felt was not properly vetted. So they decided to walk away from the board of education. But that does not mean they are no longer teachers. They did nothing to violate their code of ethics as educators. Those people are still teachers. They still have their master's degrees in education, their PhDs in education. They are still qualified. I said, what you guys need to do is you need to find those people. Look at the pamphlets. Look at the Facebook posts. Put a post on Facebook says, hey, I'm looking for a homeschooler. Master's degree in English, master's degree in math, music teacher, English language, a language teacher, Spanish, French, whatever. Do that. And you're going to find people in your community that you're going to be able to afford. If you pay 20 bucks a day for one tea, and then you have 20, if you have 10 kids in a classroom and you pay someone 30 bucks for that, you will find a way to make it work. Or maybe a teacher has a curriculum online that you can vet. But here's the deal. Parents were speaking in droves. And what were they saying? I don't like what my kid's being taught. Why didn't you know that? Oh, maybe because you don't live in a village. That school may be minutes away, but here's the rub. All right, people strap on. Hold on. The average American commute is about 30 minutes from their home. The average Americans commute from home to go to work is about 30 minutes. That's on average. Sometimes it's lower. Sometimes it's higher. So it takes 30 minutes to get to work. That means you're 30 minutes away from your village. You're 30 minutes away from where you, where you rest your head and you're most likely 30 minutes or so away from your, your, the school that your child goes to, okay? Okay, so what happens there? And you're 30, not only are you 30 minutes away, it's not as if you can just leave the job at any time, take a lunch, go back. Your lunch is only about 30 minutes to an hour. So guess what? It's not as if you can take off, go see your kid for lunch and then come back. You can't do that. You can't do that, right? So you're at this place, the American structure, our industrialized 21st century corporate American structure has the work day at eight hours minimum. The full-time work day is at eight hours. The full-time work week is at 40 hours. Now let's think about that for a moment. You're at work 30 minutes away from your village and 30 minutes away from your your child's village school. And you're going to be there well after your child gets out of school. Your child gets out of school at 3.30 in the afternoon, 3 30 in the afternoon. You get out of work by 5 o'clock. Your kid has to get on the bus. You got to find one of the parents who's going to have to get off early to go pick up the kid from school. You've had no access to your child. I'm sorry. You have little input in what goes on in your child's education from when they get there at 8 a.m., to when they leave at 3, 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You've been at work. By the time both of you guys get home, you cook a little meal, they do their homework if they haven't done it at school, and then it's time to do what? Get ready for bed and send them on their way so they can do the same thing tomorrow and you can do the same thing tomorrow. And then the weekend comes and it's Saturday and Sunday and that's when you get the oil change and get the groceries and and you know get supplies and and maybe go check out a couple of family members and that's it. And that's from six years old, seven years old, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. That child wakes up one morning pubescent and both of you don't recognize each other. You don't know your child and your child doesn't know you. And you've allowed a system that you don't agree with because all those women that from New York to Atlanta to Florida to Texas to Oklahoma, all of these women were in dog parks, were hanging out, we're taking cigarette breaks outside of their apartment and speaking to other women, other mothers, and they were all having the same conversation. I can't believe this is what my child is getting taught. And the question remains, why didn't you know that? Because if it truly takes a village to raise the child, there are elders in that village that teach the children There are elders. Everyone in this village, to a certain degree, is following the same shared values, principles, standards and norms. Okay. So now you found out that you're you're wait a minute. So so you just decided now. Now that you had a break from the normative 40 hour work week that I've always lambasted since the beginning, that eight hour work day, which I said the five hour work day should be the standard full time work day, especially especially if you're a parent, if you're a parent, definitely, because this whole idea in this country, we see articles constantly. What are we doing about America's work life balance? How do we create more work life balance? No one wants to say out loud that we need to shorten the work day fundamentally from eight hours to about five hours, six hours maximum. That that 30 minutes that you spend to get to work, you should be getting paid for. I say it to people all the time. Getting to work is work. That 30 minutes is work. It's actual labor for me to get there on time. I know it's a fancy, I know it's a crazy concept, but you know, the five day work week was a crazy concept because people were working six to seven days. The only reason why they got Sunday off is because to go to church. That was it. You know, the, the early industrialists didn't believe you could have you should have one day off, but they gave you one day of worship and that's it. Okay. So I know this concept sounds crazy, but it's not crazy. It's only crazy until you normalize it, until you constantly say it over and over again and then it becomes normal. It's like that song on the radio that you didn't really like at first and now it's just become a part of you because you kept hearing it. So if I keep saying it and I say it with then you 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 you'll understand it. Yes, if we're speaking about work-life balance. If these parents, your parents are only going to have their child complete control of the the actual stimuli that are in their child's life for a short period of time. So they should spend as much time with that child imprinting their values, principles, standards, and norms on that child as they possibly can early on between zero and seven, or I like to say zero and nine years old. Where your child is as, is is empowered and there's a bond there where both of you trust each other to the point where you set that child out into the world to be misinformed, disinformed, malinformed, and, often, and sometimes educated, illuminated. But when you send them out into the world, they're armed. Now I'm asking, where's your village if the teachers, teachers, because in this world that we live in, this country that we live in, we don't give a lot of respect to our quote-unquote elders. You know, I, my family is from the islands. My mom and dad and my 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 ancestry is derived f- derived from Haiti. Okay, and there is a great reverence and respect that I have for my elders. Um, when I when I go visit people when I was living in Europe for a while and I visited a lot of African families. There's a great respect that's paid to the elders. Why? Because oftentimes if there wasn't any formal educator, you were learning from the elders. It was the elders that you were getting stories passed down from. Whether they were literate or illiterate or not, the stories from the elders. It's like that old saying when an elder dies, it's like a a library is burnt to the ground. The elders passed down and the standards and norms. Okay, but we live in a country and let, let, let's break it down. Let, let's have a conversation about the fact that we live in a very consumer capitalism. This is capitalism, but it's consumer capitalism. It's different. It's not as industrious as it once was. It's consumer capitalism. What does that mean? That means if you don't buy, America doesn't make money. You have to buy, buy, buy. It means you have to spend, spend, spend money. Who spends the most? We're going to get to that. But who spends without thinking the most? The youth. The youth. So that's why so much of what goes on in this country is, 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 is uh, uh, emphasizes youth culture. Why does it emphasize youth culture? Why does it cater to youth culture? Why does it kowtow to youth culture? Because they know kids spend with their hearts and not their minds. The elders are more practical and more pragmatic with their money. They go, no, you don't spend it on that. You invest, you save, you do this rainy day using words like rainy day. The youth aren't concerned with rainy days. The youth are concerned with this is hot right now. Why is it hot right now? Because that's what it's been. It it went through the cultural zeitgeist and went through the system and influencers. And this is what we've been told is hot. And now it's hot. And that's the end of the story. And I need it and it costs a ridiculous amount of money and it's disposable, it's unnecessary and in within a couple of months I'm gonna need the more expensive a uh, version of an updated version of this same thing that I didn't need to begin with, okay? That's what we're based on. So there is not an emphasis on thinking. There's not an emphasis on practicality. There's not an emphasis on pragmatics. The emphasis is on what? The emphasis is on emotion. The emphasis is on... Um, I want it, my desires, my this, my that, and the third. So that's why your elders have been completely uh, uh, created. Your, your grandmas and your grandpas are being used as glorified babysitters, but not as elders and teachers, which is what they are to a great degree. But in this culture, we call them boomers and old heads. And we don't look to the people with the gray hairs and the wrinkles for advice and wisdom. It takes a little bit of, It takes a little bit of luck and a whole lot of knowledge to make it to the point where your hairs are gray and your face is wrinkled. There's a whole lot of people that won the Darwinian prize that are no longer with us due to some stupidity that they should have been able to maneuver through, but, but couldn't, wouldn't, or didn't. Okay. But in any case, when I look at this law, I don't see, don't say gay. The fact that we have to have a bill that says this is an attempt to reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. Why? Because we have so many instances where teachers are sneaking in their ideology. When your job was to teach one plus one equaling two, the stuff that you believe on the side, guess what? It's still an ongoing conversation and it may not be ready to be put in an actual academic setting because it doesn't withstand the rigors of intellectual inquiry. It's still an ongoing conversation. This idea of gender identity and fluidity, this is a new science. This science was brought up by Dr. John William Money. We'll get to him in a second. Wait for that. Dr. John William Money, who's a problematic as a father of a particular curriculum. I mean, this is the guy I think he he helped pioneer the gender reassignment uh, department at John Hopkins. He was teaching there. I think he just either he just died or he's still alive. But just to let you know how young this science is, the person who, who pretty much coined a lot of the terms that are being used now is still around. <laughs> OK. But what I'm trying to say is one plus one equals two, that's, that's intractable, that's immutable. It equals two, right? But a lot of this gender science, this agenda, it's a conversation that is still being had. So if this conversation is still occurring, that means there are no experts. Ah, if it's an ongoing conversation, there aren't any experts yet. There are pioneers and there are students no experts because it's an ongoing conversation and if it's not if it's not whittled down to an expertise then it shouldn't be taught to young children yet you have your math you have your science you have your english you have your history as your four fundamentals then you add the arts and you add your physical exercise because guess what United States is the fattest country on earth, the most obese country on earth. Kids of today have the least amount of exercise of kids in American history, the least amount of outdoor time. They spend three to four hours per day on some sort of electrical, electronic technological advice for entertainment. OK. And as far as STEM goes, science, technology, engineering and math, the United States is at the bottom of the first world industrialized nations in those scores. Ah, science, technology, engineering, and math. Or if you want to add STEAM to STEM, it will be science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. So instead of teaching these kids, instead of getting musical instruments back in the schools, instead of making sure that they're funded for music, funded for arts and crafts and plays and performance arts, funded for physical education, then funded for the sciences, funded for technology, having philosophy classes early where you can learn about Jung and Nietzsche and, and Thomas Aquinas and, and Adam Smith. These kids can't spell capitalism, let alone know what capitalism is. You know how many adults I speak to about what is capitalism and they don't know? But they, they're voting for this party or that party. They don't have any idea about what, the, what uh, people are saying. I'm a democratic socialist. I'm like, do you know the, the advent of, of democratic socialism and where it stemmed from? The pure European version and where? Uh, no, uh, they just no, it's po- using popular phrases. Popular phrases and just parroting popular phraseology without any understanding of where it stemmed from its etymology. Nothing. Capitalism, socialism, communism, this one, that one, whatever ism doesn't matter. They don't know. But if you teach them these things in bite sizes early on, then their politicians won't be able to fool them by the time they get the right to vote at 18 years old. But you spend an inordinate amount of time trying to tell a kid what sexuality they are instead of the reality of the world. When I was six years old, I was I was turning my pen and my pen and pencil into weapons. I was trying to throw spitballs. I was trying to create the perfect spitball at six years old. And I had crushes on girls and they didn't like me. They were like, ill. And as soon as they said ill, I was like, I got something for you. I'm going to have the perfect spitball and I'm going to try to get it directly into your ear. And yes, I got in trouble. I got into a lot of trouble for doing just a bunch of mischievous, hijinks, bad little kid stuff. But was I concerned with my sexuality? I don't remember a curriculum that ever dealt with my sexuality at first, second, third grade. Oh, we were looking at her. Oh, she's cute. I knew I'd get the little heebie-jeebies when I liked the girl. I'd feel a little nervous and my stomach would hurt a little bit and I'd get a little dizzy. I'd be like, man, she's pretty. And that would be it. But I didn't know what that meant. She's pretty. I didn't know what was going on. And, and, and at that moment and at that time, it wasn't necessary because I was still in theta mode. I'm still learning how to learn. I learned how to say please and thank you, and what do you say when someone gives you something? Thank you. Well, how do you ask? Please. All of these things, tone, manners—that was what was important. And then the fundamental, rudimentary thinking, by the after repetition, after seven, eight years old, by nine, by by nine. We're supposed to be teaching these kids how to think critical thinking classes, which we don't get. We don't get to talk about critical thinking until there's a state test. When there's a state test, all of a sudden you, take an exor- you do exercises in critical thinking. If there's the ACT or the SAT. Meanwhile, critical thinking is what makes your world go around. Your ability to critically think and to, to read something and assess exactly what it means or doesn't mean. To be able to separate the wheat from the chafe. We should be teaching that as early as humanly possible, not spending a great deal of time on this, trying to implement this into the the young minds of a seven-year-old, of a six-year-old, of a kindergartner, five, four. I'm sorry. So the people that are saying this was an anti-gay bill, that's wrong. It's not. It's not. This is a bill that is showing how far gone we've gone, because like I said, the left leaning parents that I know that were vehemently against this being taught and told to their five, six, seven, eight year old. They're not anti gay. They're pro parental rights. They want to be told what's going on. I've said this before. The classroom, if the classroom doesn't have a camera in it, it should. Because think about this for a minute, people think about this. Young parents out there, one of the highlights of a da- of daycare centers now is when they say, we have cameras and we'll give you the password so you can go look at what your child is doing in real time. My nephew's daycare and my niece's daycare have cameras where my brother was able to be at work and have his laptop. He had a laptop specifically, I'm sorry, a tablet specific to that, to the school. So he would have the school Right there on mute and he would see everything that was going on with his son while he was typing, while he was working, while he was on the phone. He would always be able to look over and see they had cameras in the in the uh, recess area, the activity rooms everywhere. Why is that not the case in elementary schools? Why is that not the case in high schools? Why is it that parents are sitting around in twenty twenty one? After their kids have been in elementary school for years. Saying, I can't believe this is what my child is being taught. I have to find a homeschooler. Why didn't you know? Is that teacher not from your village? Is that principal not from your village? Are the people in that school board not from your village? Where have you been? Oh, these people aren't from your village. And you've been at work for too long. So you can't vet everything that's coming through the door. So now you're sitting around now with your child at home and you're hearing what the teacher is saying. And you're saying, oh, my God, this is crazy. That's not one plus one. That's not history. That's not what this is. What is this? Ah, it's not your village. It's not professing your standards traditions and norms and some people may push back on what i'm saying as well, well june you know the 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 um one of the ideas of school is to you know broaden the child's mind yeah broaden the child's mind yeah yeah let's have philosophies that we've all agreed on let's have 1 plus 1 let, let, let's break let's get the fundamentals down to an exact science shall we let's see what we can get these 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 american students let's see how we can get these american students science and math scores through the roof shall we these kids don't even know where the capital of such and such is they don't know where north north dakota is on a map you give them a map of the united states they don't know geography they don't know they don't know because this is what the conversation this is what the equity is being spent on spent on seeing if you can get these kids into certain programs and then you have these teachers That are in front of your in front of your child, and instead of teaching your child one plus one equals two, what are they doing? They're slipping in their little politics, whether they're on the left, the right, or center. I don't send a child to school in those at those ages to hear a teacher's politics. I need that teacher to be as arbitrary as humanly possible and teach the textbook. Teach the textbook and if you don't like the textbook then you take it up with the uh, principal if you don't like the textbook you speak to the teachers you speak you speak to the parents directly you have the parents work number home number and email there's absolutely no reason for the school system to be taking any liberties they do an effective enough job of misinforming Malinforming and disinforming your child, but they do a tremendous job of indoctrinating your child with inferior information. That is why we have so many adults that are ignorant to what this country is, was, is and should be. Don't have a clue. Because oh, we've been, uh, this is what we spoke about when I was speaking about USA v. Russia. I was like, what we were told about Russia, what we were told about this country and that country, we got it from our movies, our teachers, our this, our that and the third. Who's in your village? Who have, al- who have you allowed to be in your child's life and become a part of their village? Remember what this said. Remember what they said. An entire community of people must be present, active, and accountable in children's lives for those children to experience and grow in a safe and healthy environment. I was watching a Disney movie. I'm not going to mention the name of the movie. I was watching it with my fiance, and then there was a s- there was several scenes in this Disney Plus Movie that was a kid movie. No one in this movie was over the age of 12 and I'm not some I'm not some You know 90 year old curmudgeon that's like oh my god. What is this? They're showing. It's not what the, it's not what I'm It's not what I'm saying, but I thought this thing said suitable for ages like you know seven and above and I thought to myself I wouldn't want my seven-year-old nephew, niece, or cousin, or little, little neighbor to watch this. <clears throat> I think that's inappropriate. So that means now, ladies and gentlemen, future parents, f- grandparents, future parents, present parents, grandparents, uncles and aunties. That means you're going to have to have more time on your hands because if you, your kids have so many influences, they're watching YouTube videos that may be sneaking in things into your village that you don't approve of your children. out When you go out, when you go out to dinner and you see these little kids looking at tablets and all they're doing is looking at stuff that the parent has not vetted, the parent is just happy to have this child pacified and placated. And for some moments so they can get some air. Why? Because you're already overworked because you're working 30 plus minutes away from your village. For more than 40 hours a week, more than half your day is pretty much spent either getting prepared for going to work, working, then coming home from work. That's pretty much half your day. That's half of your 24 hour day cycle. And then you have to try to be a parent. You're doing a better job at being an employee than being a parent. I hate to say that. I'm sorry, and I apologize in advance, but that's the way the system has been created. It's not your fault, but now that you know, get what I'm saying? I think part of the reason why I do this platform is so no one can say they didn't know. I'm not the most popular. I'm not I'm at the bottom of the popularity list because I haven't built up that much of an audience yet. That's fine. But I put it out there into the world so no one can say that they haven't been told. Parents think that feeding and watering and washing their child is enough. And then you send it out there into the school system thinking that that system is going to educate and empower your child. That is a bold-faced lie. They don't want your child to be a better thinker. They just want your child to be able to work. That's it. So they, they, they program them to sit in that chair for six, seven, eight hours so they can teach them how to program them, how to sit in that chair for six, seven, eight hours when they become adult workers and do that for the next 40 plus years after they graduate college. That's the plan. They don't teach you how to be thinkers. They teach you how to be workers how to just do such simple tasks. That's why philosophy isn't taught early in schools. That's why after your ABCs, you should be learning Socrates. You should be learning Confucius. You should be learning Asian philosophies, African philosophies, Euro philosophies from the European giants, from the African giants, from the Arab giants, from the Asian giants. And then you can get to the American giants. But that's not happening, is it? That, that's not where the big kerfuffle is, is it? We're not concerned with the math scores and the science scores. We're not concerned with the fact that athletics can help these kids not have the young young adult, teenage onset, dia- adolescent diabetes that is running rampant through these kids. You have Pepsi and Coke dis- uh, 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 vending machines in elementary schools. I know that because I was teaching at an elementary school some years back. And I, the first thing I was saying was um, why do we have a Pepsi machine in school? Why is that not a water and orange juice machine? Why do we have a Pepsi machine in school? Why do we have a, a Coke? machine? Why do we have a soda machine, a cola machine? It's not supposed to happen. Not for kids. Not, not, not during the day when I need them to sit down. I don't need them to have 30 teaspoons of sugar in their body when I'm trying to get them to learn. I'm not going to judge you for what you're doing after school, do you on the weekends, do whatever you got to do. But if I need this kid to sit down for the next couple of hours, I think I might want to have them abstain from 30 plus teaspoons of white sugar. Huh? So we think that we send these kids off to school and bye bye. I did my job. Teachers can push back and say, well, June, I try to talk to the parents sometimes when the kid is not doing well or the kid is being disruptive, etc. And the parent looks at me and says, I did my job. I sent them to school. They're good at home. Must be something you're doing wrong. And guess what? Parents, you're absolutely wrong for that. You want to know why? Because the first mistake that you made was you, you did not vet out those teachers. You sent your child out there to the school. You sent the child out there. And you don't know a thing about that, that, that teacher's philosophy. You go to a couple of parent-teacher conferences, and that's it. Because you're overworked, you're overstressed, you're underpaid. You're working eight hours plus. You only get two days off if you're lucky. That's, all, that's if you have one job. You may have a job and a half, or, or what they call today a side hustle. So when do you have time to vet what the kid is watching on YouTube, vet what the kid is watching in Disney, vet with every single last lesson? That means you got to do the homework with the child. I want to know what you're reading. I want to know what they're writing. I want to know what they said here. That's how. Meticulous, how involved, how proactive you have to be in 2022 with your child. As a Matter of fact, one can argue we should have all been that practical that somehow, some there's always supposed to be one parent. Once you decide to bring little people onto the planet, that's the job. That's the job. If I join the Marine Corps, hurrah, that job entails that I put that rifle in my hand and I do what I gotta do, okay? So if I decide to become a parent, there's something that comes along with that. And you know what that means? That, that, that means that, you know what? That doesn't mean that you just, after three weeks of the child being born, you give it off to some $10 an hour daycare worker who's a stranger. That's not, that's not what parenting is. Parenting is not just dropping your kids off at these schools now and allowing them to indoctrinate and inculcate your kids in curriculums that you have not approved of because it doesn't represent your village ideals, your standards, your values, your pr- principles, and your norms. So my question is, it's deeper than this. That's why I said we're not going to spend too much time on, oh, is this gay or anti this or you're pro LGBT? Am I an ally or adversary? Is DeSantis and out? Please, I'll leave that. Fu- oh, is the far right going too far? Is the, is the left being too much obsessed with identity politics and not with economic justice and intellectual blah, blah, blah pursuits of the American student? We can have that conversation. But in many, many arenas, that conversation is already happening. The conversation I'm going to have is I'm going to pull it back because we keep hearing about family. We have to find work family balance, let work life balance. How do we do that? Well, you do that by equitably giving people back their day and saying that the work day needs to be reduced so that person can find ways to be a whole human being and 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 have other parts of their lives uh, foster other parts of their lives, because that's what technology was supposed to do. That was the rub. Oh, now with the Internet and with technology, you're going to be able to find out more hobbies about yourself and do other things besides being tethered to your labor and your employment. Lies. The opposite occurred. You're working more. You're tethered to the technology. Now your boss wants to email you at 6, 7, 8, 9 p.m. when you're home. And, and now you're, you're constantly attached. You are now all of your neurons are attached to that cell phone tower. In that Wi-Fi tower, you're attached and tethered to your job. And there's another thing. Like I said, a couple of my friends said that um, there was a guest speaker that came to their kid's school. And for whatever reason, out of curiosity, randomly, they Googled them and realized this person wasn't really suitable to even be speaking to children. And they went to the school board and the principal and he went through all of that. But you know what? When you're working all that time, being a parent at the same time, very difficult. So let me read to you a quote from Dr. John William Money, who is the father of American gender identity and uh, uh gender identity and sexuality. This is what I'm gonna read to you. Th- remember, this man was teaching at John Hopkins University. He's not on the fringe. I think he's Harvard educated, I think. I'm not entirely sure. I think he's Ivy League educated. He's not on the fringe. Dr. John William Money. He's not on the fringe. He taught at Johns Hopkins. A a, a doctor would love, any medical student would love, any pre-med student would give a finger, a small appendage, a phalange to get into Johns Hopkins. Seriously. And this man was teaching there. Okay. This is what he said. This is from the Journal of Pedophilia, Spring 1991, Volume 2, Number 3, Page 5. And he says, and I quote, If I were to see the case of a boy aged 10 or 11 who's intensely erotically attracted toward a man in his 20s or 30s, if the relationship is totally mutual and the bonding is genuinely totally mutual, then I would not call it pathological in any way. Did you hear that? I, I just, I'm just saying, did you hear that? If I were to see the case of a boy aged 10 or 11, who's intensely erotically attracted toward a man in his twenties or thirties, if the relationship is totally mutual and the bonding is genuinely totally mutual, then I would call that would not call it pathological in any way. Hmm. Now, if a parent were to take this quote, and, and, and just maybe do, do their own research if they had the time allotted for said research and bring a nice stack in a manila folder of several pages of this man's work and say, hey, listen, this is the father of the science that you're propagating right now. How do we feel about 10 year olds being in sexual rela- erotic, intimate relationships with 20, 30 year olds? How do we feel about that? Oh, we're totally against that. Oh, we, we, we actually arrest teachers for entering into intimate Congress with adolescents. So what's up with Dr. John William Money and these assertions? What's up with this? This is in a journal. This is in a journal right here. What, what, what's going on? How do we feel about that? And if everyone starts stuttering, you go, exactly. What you guys are talking about seems to be an ongoing. We've outlawed. As a matter of fact, I can think of no crime more heinous than harming a child, just saying, than then to enter into these situations with an adolescent child. This man said a 10 or 11 year old. It's all right. The man's in his 20s or 30s and the kid is 10, 11 years old. This kind of reminds you of ancient Greco-Roman culture, doesn't it? Where the Greeks used to say there's no better relationship for a grown man than to enter into an intimate relationship with a small child. I can't remember the quote, but it was like it's as close to being in heaven. I think you guys can look up the quote. And I was like, yuck. Are you crazy? So we as a society made a decision collectively that this was no longer OK. This was not moral. This was abhorrent. That we were not going to live in a society where we were going to sexualize young boys and girls. That boys were men were not going to enter into these kind of relationships with boys. We made a decision a long time ago. Long time ago. Centuries ago. And let's just say we became tougher in the twentieth century. Meanwhile, the father of this gender assignment, gender rea- reassessment, gender fluidity, uh, um, theology, so to speak, or ology, says that, you know, in 1991, not, not in 91 B.C. He, this wasn't said in 68 B.C. This was 1991 A.D. At the end of the 20th century, entering into the 21st century. What? What? This is when this was written. So that means this is an ongoing conversation, right? That means, wait a minute, we have problems. This is problematic for some parents. This is problematic because the last thing that a parent wants is their 10 year old. Who is intensely and erotically attracted to their 30 year old teacher entering into a relationship with that teacher that is not based on the standard student teacher dynamic whoa that's all i'm saying i'm not saying that this lgbtq they're about pedophilia i'm not saying that, i'm just saying that this is the father of the science and i'm saying that as a parent does this represent your village and if it does awesome you should take a vote and if it doesn't awesome you should take a vote and see how many teachers how many students how many people in admit in the administration are okay with this and if you notice that you've been outvoted then you need to make a boss decision about what your child is is doing because you are as you know um you know you have the fundamental right of a parent to make decisions regarding the upbringing control of their child those are your kids that's not the school system's kids That that person's with your child for a semester or two, and then you're on to the next group of kids, and your kid moves on. And that teacher's job is to teach a bunch of kids. Your job is to teach the kid you made and created. That's your job. That's your kid. So I'm asking the parents out there and the uncles and the aunties and the grandparents out there. What are you going to do to reshift and fundamentally shift and shape your village now in the second decade of the 21st century? Now that we're more of us are working remotely and working from home and et cetera, et cetera. What are you going to do? Are you still going to allow yourself to be 30 plus minutes away from your village for eight, nine, 10 hours a day while your child is being taught something that may not be aligned with your village principles, your community principles? Or are you going to find Are you gonna make sure that you create a? And this is why I had that um, that uh, those episodes where I spoke to the women, because I said uh, it's about to be a woman's world, and what's that world gonna look like? Because you guys are the first nurses, the first teachers, the first counselors, the first chefs. So with women in the driver's seat, where does that look like? because you guys are now 51% of the medical students, 51% of the law students. That means the more lawyers and doctors are gonna come out in the next three, four, five, six, seven years, and they're gonna be female. So the, mo- the gold collar professions that make the world go round are gonna be head by the female. So what are you gonna do about that? Are you still gonna try to outwork the 50, 60, 70 hours a week while your child is being taught stuff that may not be aligned with your standards and norms and values and principles? Or are you gonna say, no, we're not working this many hours we're going to fundamentally shift it more women are becoming ceos vps heads of hr etc cetera, etc cetera. if you're going to say you know what we're, sw- we're switching things around we need to spend more time with our families because like i said a lot of you parents you've made better employees than parents you've given more to that job than you've given to the main job cuz once you decided to bring another human being on this earth whether they turn into Adolf Hitler or Albert Einstein, you kind of have a lot to do with that. You have a lot to do with that. Do you know that old saying that um adults are in therapy trying to undo, they spend half their life in therapy trying to undo the damage that their parents caused? Right? So much of what your kid's going through in their 20s and 30s and 40s is your fault from things that happened between zero and 10 years old. Sorry, just saying. So that's the, once you've decided and made that boss decision to bring another human being onto this planet, all bets are off. That's the main gig. And if you can't afford that to be the main gig, then don't plan for that. Don't do it. Because now what you have now is Parents now trying to figure out how they're going to call the school and then, you know, make the quota at the job, and I got to get to the parent-teacher conference, and I got to find a Zoom time for the teacher. I'm only available after six because I'm not allowed to use my phone at the job, and the teacher is saying I ain't. Don't call me at six o'clock. I'm off the clock. Teachers don't get paid nearly enough. I've always said that if I were to run for political office, the first thing I would try to do is give every single teacher in elementary school and high school a 40% pay hike just off the top. Because the mere fact that you're grading papers off the clock is crazy to me. You worked from 8, 7, 8 a.m. all the way to 3 p.m. And now you're home at night when you have your own babies, you have your own life. And what are you doing? You're, you're, you're creating curriculums and, 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 and school plans and course plans and grading papers and creating projects and then taking calls from parents, disgruntled, overworked, underpaid overstressed underappreciated parents? No way. So now a parent has to try to find a way to get a mental health day off and I got to find a way to get to the school on a Friday or maybe a Monday but I can't take any more mental health days because I'm I may lose my j- What? That's the world we're living in. And the, and so that's why what I'm saying ties all the way back into how we have fundamentally created this this world that we live in. This work family structure, this pay structure, all of the things that are occurring, this ideology that people are sort of doing it on their own. Like, yeah, I I can be a parent on my own. No, you can't. It takes a village. It takes a village. And, you, and you, you have to have a mom, a dad, hopefully some grandparents, some uncles, some aunties, some homeschoolers, some people who share your value system. And then when you're ready to talk about certain things with your child, then you can go, okay. All right, I may not have all the rules and tools and whatever to, to teach my child about this, so I'm gonna go maybe go to some professionals and say, "Hey, how do I broach this subject with my kid? How do I talk about this and how do I talk about that?" But but these teachers and these these administ- these people who are supposed to be experts in ABCs and one two threes are trying to tell your child whether it's a boy or a girl. What? And I'm not being I, I'm not and I'm, I'm being I'm not embellishing or that's that's what exactly what's happening. My, 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 um, uh, friend said that his daughter was told that they were cisgender, this gender, that gender. And it was in like a global studies class where well, you're supposed to be learning where all of these countries are and what's the name of the languages they speak and how do these people look and what's their history. So their history isn't a mystery to you 10, 20 years later when you have to vote. So they're not looked at as some sort of phantom colored boogeyman on some other part of the world. So you understand, oh, this is the such and such people and they speak this and they speak that. And yeah, we watched the documentary on them and they will and this and I'm like, oh, that's what a parent wants to hear. Like we watch a parent and then the parents going, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was great. We should watch it together. They said, you know, they want to watch to watch. OK, I want to watch that with you. That's what's supposed to be going on. But that's not what's going on, is it? There's no gym class. These kids are obese. There's no arts class. There's no no, uh, 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 um, musical class. There's no science, technology, advanced studies class. No. You have kids in poor countries that are outperforming the United States. So it's not due to lack of resources. It's due to lack of initiative and priority. They're not prioritizing your kids being intelligent and and thinkers because there are poor countries in the Caribbean and in Africa where these kids are out dueling your kids in math and science and they have technology abound. Okay, milk and honey, they have vending machines and cafeterias and, and, and 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 school trips. Meanwhile, it's some kid that the grades go from like one through seven in some little hut mud hut of a classroom with some little electric fan plugged into the wall and everyone's got dusty slippers on and they're outperforming your kids. Forget about the first world. I, I t- I can talk about a lot of second and third world and emerging countries that can outdo children in math and science. As a matter of fact, many of my family members who come from poor Haiti that we've been hearing is the poorest country in this hemisphere for how many decades we've been hearing that they come to this country and they score off the charts in math and science. They don't know the language, so the language barrier is what oftentimes keeps them back or behind in their classes until they catch up with the language and the nuances of the English language. It's so unfamiliar to them, you know, especially Creole. Creole doesn't mesh well with the English language. So, but when they finally learn that language, it's off to the races. But their math and science scores, they're off the hook. Their chemistry and, and calculus, math, math, everything, they're, oh, they're fine. Oh, why is that? Emphasis. That's all. Intention. In this country, they don't intend for you to be that pragmatic and practical. They want you to be a worthless consumer, a mindless consumer. Work, work, work. Run, run, run. Then have another baby and have generations of people doing the same thing as you're doing. And all of these, these instead of giving kids hard science You're giving them this nuanced, controversial, provocative, arguable information that still needs to be vetted and still can't withstand the rigors of intellectual and moral inquiry. And that's what they want to put in your school system instead of the hard science, math, economics, philosophy, just saying. The village, what does yours look like? And what are you going to do to turn it into the village that you want? Are you going to do like those those women were doing in the dog park, getting together and teaching each other's kids now? Like the elders were doing the village where one mother was watching the children of the other mother that was in the village and teaching. So you're learning how to cook from this mama and you're learning how to sing from that other mama and you're learning this, that and the third. Whoa. And the boys, the same thing. The boys were going off the hunt with this group of males, and then they were learning how to fight, learning how to provide, learning how to sing, learning the rituals. Everyone's learning from the people in that village with the shared traditions, standards, and norms. But now you've you've outsourced all of the most essential parts of your children's education to everyone else, to the tablets, to the school curriculum, to the school boards. And where are you in this equation? You only have this much time with your children before they're off to the races and they're in that other world with everyone else. They're amongst their peers. They're being influenced by everything else except you. So how much influence, how much control did you exert? Did you imprint in their upbringing? And what, did, what information did you give? Or did you just say, oh, I did my job. I washed them. I fed them off to the races. Go to school. I got to go to work. Teacher calls you in the middle of the day saying, your child is doing Nah, I don't want to hear that. You're like, ah, that's your job. I sent my kid to school. That's your job. Are you treating the school system like a glorified babysitter? You're doing yourself a great disservice. Or even if you're treating the school as this great center of learning and intellectual advancement, you'd be doing yourself a disservice. You have to look at it for what it is. It's been a factory for misinformation, malinformation, and disinformation for many, many decades like i said i talked to way too many adults that are supposed to be smart with phds and master's degrees and this that and the third and i'm like wait wait a minute you weren't taught how to think you were taught how to repeat you were taught how to parrot you're still in theta mode (laughs) because no one took you out of theta mode theta mode was supposed to end around seven eight nine years old and right at that point it was time to learn critical thinking socrates for kids critical knowledge advancement how to break down thesis and hypothesis how when I doing that, when not doing that, no. Oh, okay. We're only doing that when there's a state test, like as a utility for a state test to, to, as an, a means to an end to pass one or two tests in our life, the ACT, the SAT, the GRE, the LSAT. That's it. That's it. Meanwhile, it's a, a critical thinking and critical reading is a fundamental part of just being an, an intelligent human being. When are not going to do that. Oh, okay. I see. Parents, <clears throat> What this is the world that you've allowed to happen. You can't blame the government, can't blame the shadow, whatever you know. No, shadow, deep state. Ah, knock that off. There's 300 million of you. There's a couple of, there's, a, there's maybe altogether a couple of thousand of this deep, deep state operatives. If stop it, a couple of hundred politicians couple of hundred businessmen that are worth a damn and a couple of other operatives that's it there's 300 million of you what are we talking about there's hundreds of million of you this world is the world that we make it so we're gonna have to ask ourselves what do we want our village to look like moving forward we'll talk later bye-bye